0: God, as we open your word now, thank you that you really are more eager to meet with us than, well, than many of us are to meet with you. Uh, For Lord, you have uh, a heart that is so big, and you love, you care, and part of that love and care for your people is that you have revealed yourself Uh, We get to see as we look at the beauty of creation, as we uh, look and ponder at what Jesus has done on the cross. And we also uh, have the privilege of reading your word, your revelation for everything that we need for life and godliness you've already given to us. Lord, so now would you enable us to engage our minds fully, uh, to engage our hearts, and most of all, our wills, uh, that we would respond to what you would have for us individually and even corporately. Uh, So Lord, give us insight, and Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be our teacher now, and we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. amen. Several weeks ago, NBA superstar LeBron James tweeted these words. Quote, it's a weird feeling to feel so alone sometimes. He received over 140,000 likes and 4,000 replies from people, some expressing sympathy, some disbelief. And from others, criticism. I appreciated John Stone Street's insight. It can be difficult to understand how rich, famous celebrities like LeBron could be lonely. I mean, like, doesn't he have it all? Four NBA championships, two Olympic gold medals, a $23 million L.A. mansion, and still... He feels lonely. A recent study reports teens and tweens today have unprecedented access to technology, and yet many report they've never been so bored. USA Today calls loneliness loneliness with its well-documented ill effects on health an epidemic. And this has only deepened since the pandemic. Are you aware that young people today are the most digitally connected while also the most isolated, lonely, and depressed? The percentage of Gen Z that identifies as atheist is double that of the U.S. adult population. And sadly... Only 4% of this generation has a biblical worldview. Now, related to all of that, when churchgoers were asked uh, several years ago if they've heard of the Great Commission, 51% indicated they had never heard of it. Only 17%, this is a survey of churchgoers, knew what the Great Commission was and could explain it. Now, considering those trends, it behooves us to know the Great Commission and to grow in our discipleship by making disciples who make disciples among all nations, especially Among our youngest generations. And we're going to circle back to that at the end of the message. Our focus today is on the word rebuild. To rebuild means to build up, to fortify or reinforce, to construct again. One dictionary defines it like this. To build something again after it has been damaged or destroyed. Here's our main idea. The best time to rebuild is right now. I'm going to invite you, if you have a copy of God's word with you, there's one in front of you, to open up to the book of Haggai. Haggai is the second shortest book in the Old Testament. It's a bit difficult to locate. There's only two chapters. Oh, let me help you. It's right between Zephaniah and Zechariah. (laughs) That's not all that helpful either, is it? So the easiest way to find it is to go to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, hang a left, three books. (laughs) Before we look at a book like Haggai, it's important to understand some background, so let me give it as briefly as I can. Because of decades of disobedience, Assyria conquered Israel. Those are the northern tribes And Israel was dispersed, scattered. Actually became known as the ten lost tribes of Israel. Judah, the kingdom to the south, made up of two tribes, watched what happened to their brothers and sisters in the north. And you would think they would learn a lesson. They didn't. They worshipped idols. They went astray. And So many years later, the Babylonians... Came down and destroyed Jerusalem. They decimated the temple. They killed and slaughtered many people. And they took many back, deported them to what is now modern day Iraq. This period is called the captivity or the exile. Now, many of God's prophets, particularly Jeremiah, predicted that that captivity would last for 70 years, after which God's people would be allowed to return home. And so the first group of people to return home, some 50,000 of them, returned to Judah with Zerubbabel they rebuilt the altar and they began offering sacrifices. They worked hard for two years. They finished the foundation of the temple. But here's some bad news they got discouraged. And that can happen on a rebuilding project, they got off focus, off mission. There were a lot of enemies in the land who were attacking them, but but something else happened. They took their eyes off the task, the mission that God had given to them, their very reason for returning, and started just focusing on their own lives and their own homes. And so God sent some prophets to speak a message to God's people who had gotten off track. One of those was the prophet Haggai. Another one is Zechariah. And he's calling them to finish, to rebuild, to finish the rebuilding project. Get this, 16 years have gone by. The temple foundation is in ruins Things are like growing up. It's been neglected. They've been off task. And so after 16 years of spiritual lethargy, God told them that it's time to get back to building again. He calls them to some action, but first he addresses their attitudes. That's where we're going to start today, and perhaps you've gotten off track in your sense of mission and calling and building into your life what God has called you to build. So let's start with some attitude adjustments. Here's the first one. Put God in his proper place. Join me in verse two. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Now that would get their attention. That's Jehovah Sabaoth the Lord of the angel armies. This references God as the commander of all of the armies of heaven. This would get their attention. This title, this name for God is used 270 times in the Bible and 14 times alone in the short book of only two chapters. Here's a question for us to ponder. Are we reverencing God? Do we see him for who he is? Second is to be ready to proceed and stop procrastinating. And so even though the people face some mounting problems, the God of the angel armies summarized their lame excuse. Listen to their excuse. Oh, we're so much like this. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. They're like, it's not the right time, God. This this is what they're telling God. It's been 16 years since they've been at it. Would you notice God refers to them as these people? He doesn't even call them my people why? Because they're not acting like his people. They'd only focused on themselves for 16 years. Now, none of them were claiming it wasn't important to build God's house. If we were to interview them, say, "Oh, we know it's important. God's house is very important." They're just like, "It's not the right time." That's how it happens. Actually, for each of us, we first put something off. We know it's important. We think we'll get to it later, and then a week goes by, and then a month goes by, and then a year goes by, and then a decade goes by, and then a lifetime goes by. Third attitude adjustment is that they needed to take their focus off living for their own pleasure and prioritize God. The God of the angel armies asks a very penetrating question. I'm in verses 3 and 4. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house, my house, God says, lies in ruins? You know, it's not that they were unable to, no, they were unwilling, willing. And I wonder if some of us would be more honest instead of saying something like I can't if we would simply say I won't. Because that most of the time is our issue. It's a matter of our will. We're like I won't do that. Do you see the contrast here between God's desolate house and their decorated houses? I mean this is brought out vividly with the phrase you yourselves and when you see the word paneled what most of us think is an inexpensive way to put a room down in the basement right I lived in one of those rooms in the basement I helped my dad build that room in the basement it was all paneling like studs and paneling it's all it was I didn't mind because I have four sisters as a way for me to get away from my sisters so that's what we think of when we think of paneling but Take that out of your mind. Here's what it means here. Paneling was expensive cedar or oak. And it was only used in the palaces of kings. It's quite possible the paneling, which had been reserved for the temple construction, was now being used in their own homes. The word ruins here means God's house was desolate and decaying and parched. And so how can they say the time was not right after God had moved a pagan king to give them money and materials and safe passage to leave Babylon, where God's people had been for 70 years, to go back with one task? to rebuild the temple. Here's what I think was going on. The bottom line is the people were living as if they could do life without God at the center. Well, they thought God was nice and all that, uh, just not necessary. They had settled in the land and had settled spiritually. Oh, that can happen in our lives as well. Friends, the best time to rebuild is right now. Let's look now at three calls to action in verses 5 through 8. Number one, to pause and ponder. After God reminds them of his immutable immensity, notice I'm in verse 5, now therefore thus says The Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of the angel armies, consider your ways. This is really the major message of the book. It's unique to Haggai. This phrase, consider your ways, occurs five times In this brief book, God's like, consider what's going on in your life. It means literally to bring your mind to bear upon your ways. So God says, consider your ways. Notice next, they're to look and learn. Verse 6 shows what happens when we don't put God first. You've sown much, God says, and harvested little. You eat but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. It's kind of descriptive of what's going on in our economy. The message is clear. We will never find satisfaction until we find our satisfaction in him. Friends, many of you have learned this truth. If God is not at the center of your life, even if you get what you think you need, it will never be enough. The book of Micah 614, you shall eat but not be satisfied. There shall be hunger within you. Now, let me come back to something else John Stone Street said about LeBron's loneliness. Quote, The problem with having it all is defining it all. Define it wrong and you could get everything you want before realizing the hole in your heart is actually God-shaped. Let me say it like this. Dissatisfaction is designed to lead us to find satisfaction in God alone. Well, let me see it, say it as clearly as I can. If we put our pleasures above God's priorities, we will never find what we are longing for. If any of you learned that the hard way, yeah. See, the more we marginalize him, put him out to the margins of our life, the more we're gonna meander through life living without any margin ourselves. Mark this down. God is not sending dissatisfaction among them because he hates them. He's doing it because he loves them. And he wants them to get back on mission, back on task for why they were sent back in the first place to rebuild that which is important to God. Number three, they're to go and get, verse eight, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. Oh, I love this next part, that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. The command to go up implies upward motion. It's the only command in the entire book. It's a threefold command. Go Bring and rebuild and build. See, it's not enough to just say we love God. We must live out our love. The logs won't come rolling down the mountain on their own. (laughs) They had to go up, bring them down, and then get to work rebuilding. Oh, don't miss how God had already provided all the resources they needed. They just needed to go. And get them, but they were already available. Now let's consider how God wants each of us individually to be involved in some rebuilding. According to Second Peter one three, this is such good news. You have been given everything you need for life and for godliness. You have been given everything you need to tackle the task of rebuilding that which has been ignored in your own life. Well, let me quote this verse in the version in which I first learned it. His divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. See, some of us think if only I had this, then I would be more faithful. If, if only God would give me this, then I could do that. Listen, this verse says God has given you everything already that you need for life and for your pursuit of godliness. You have it now. Now, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm going to guide us through some questions. And you just use these questions as a way to do an inventory of your own life. Do you view God with the reverence he deserves as Jehovah Sabaoth? And as you look at your life, your activities, your schedule... What one thing have you been putting off? What is God prompting you to do? What what message is He sending you through your dissatisfaction, through your restlessness? In what specific ways will you prioritize Him? this week instead of living for your own pleasure? What is it that God is calling you to do? And what do you need to go and get that's already been granted to you? What does God want to use you to focus on rebuilding? Could it be your daily Bible reading and your prayer time? Could it be your giving? Perhaps you're not giving anything, or perhaps you're just giving a little. Or maybe it's your serving. Perhaps as you look at your schedule, life is revolving around you and what you're interested in. Or, Little closer to home, what about your marriage if you're married? Any distance going on there? Anything within your family, within your children, within your extended family? What about your relationships? Any reconciliation that needs to take place? Maybe it's your consistency in gathering for worship every weekend. Perhaps it's your commitment. To the great commission mandate to make disciples among our neighbors and the nations. Now you can open your eyes to make sure we get the answer right. Should George Barna call any of us? Here's the great commission. It's given by Jesus himself right at the end of Matthew chapter 28. Here it is. Go. 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 Therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But there's more teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then we're given a promise and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God's people stopped doing the chief work that they had been commissioned to do, which is why they had been sent back to the land in the first place. Friends, likewise, our main job today is to bring glory to God by obeying the great commission as we gather, as we grow, as we give, and as we go with the gospel. That is why we've been sent here and to grow in our discipleship and to reach more teenagers for Christ, we are committed to building on the foundations which have already been laid. We just need to go and get after it. Because the best time to rebuild is right now.